Today's topic is Texas versus California. A few different categories here. The, the first one, everyone's favorite, taxes. Employment law, corporate governance, privacy. It's not just enough about the law. There's some other things that may, well, may come into play as well. No, there's one more. I think this is gonna be the nail biter. Sound Smart Business, where your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stomp, cover business in the news and add their awesome legal twist. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast brought to you by Pasha Law PC, a law firm representing your business in California, Illinois, New York, and Texas. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. All right. All right. Welcome to our podcast. This time we are recording in person. COVID is officially over. That's not true, but um, we are about six feet away or so, um, both vaccinated, so not really an issue. But today's topic is Texas versus California, or California versus Texas. Welcome, Matt, to Houston. Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons I'm here, is I'm representing California for this podcast. Nasser, obviously, Texas, and had to fly in in order to do so, but really excited to discuss this topic. Well, we do have the home field advantage, but I don't think we'll need it this time around. We'll be talking about the major differences between California and Texas from the perspective of a business owner. Uh, we are a law firm that represents clients in many states, well, I should say California, Texas, Illinois, and New York. But I'll tell you the businesses that we represent in California and Texas, it's a complete opposites on how we approach uh, our our representation and the differences are pretty stark, wouldn't you say, Matt? Yeah, it's it's always the consideration is when you speak, especially if you speak to a new business. One of the questions you have to ask are where where they're located. Are they based out of California? And, you know, obviously they can be based in other states too. But the the analysis is completely different, just based solely on on where their um, actual headquarters are. So it's we're going to get into it in more detail, but it's definitely a lot of different intricacies for, for each state. Well, one thing I've been, you know, I've obviously Matt's been here for a few days and been introducing him to certain people. And I always introduce him as, well, he's a business corporate attorney, but he's in California. So basically he's an employment law attorney. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Why? Because it's so difficult to navigate that area of law when you're in California versus Texas. It's like, your number one thought when it when uh, when it comes to risk management and so forth. So, so if you're listening at home or on a workout or at the office, keep score because we're not going to do it for you. Um, I already know who's going to win, but we'll we'll see about that. Uh, we'll we'll leave it up in the air for that matter. So I think we'll get into it. A uh, few different categories here. The the first one, everyone's favorite, taxes. Ah, uh, taxes. Well. That's easy, right? We didn't, say, we didn't say Texas. We said taxes. Taxes. Okay. That is confusing. So taxes. So uh, so the interesting about, okay, there's federal taxes. So obviously there's going to be no differences there. But when we talk about taxes on a state level, there's all sorts of things besides just an income tax. Um, there's the franchise fee tax. There's sales tax. There's 
property taxes. There's even a fuel tax to consider, um, which we even consider a fuel tax. What does that have to do with business? Of course, when uh, when there's an excise tax for fuel in your state, everything is now more expensive. Transportation supply, especially you know uh, post COVID, we've seen the kind of uh, strain that this has uh, played on in our economy when it comes to this backlog of supplies. But let's see, which tax should we talk about first? So uh, the the one that gets brought up the most from the perspective of a business is this. Uh, it's called the franchise tax in California, and one of the questions we get a lot of times is why why is there such a uh, high fee, just a, an annual fee every year? And again, called the franchise tax. And I basically said it's the price of doing business in California, which you know is basically the case. It's minimum eight hundred dollars a year can go higher than that depending on annual revenue, but that's the threshold. And that's whether you have a loss for the year, whether you do no business at all, that's just the minimum amount that is owed every year if you do business in California. And that's not just for businesses formed in California. If you're a foreign entity as well, actually transacting business, or I guess the the definition would be doing business in California, you're also going to get hit with that fee. And it's, it's just, I think it's, I would, Pretty sure it's the highest fee of any state in the U.S. To my knowledge, it's pretty it's pretty horrible. And the, the thing is, with this particular tax, is uh, it hurts the smallest of businesses, right? Uh, if you're a good sized business, you know certain clients aren't going to care that much about an eight hundred dollar fee, mm-hmm. especially if it's on an annual basis. But if you're a so called mom and pop, or or if you want to set up a single purpose entity whether it's you want to hold a piece of property there or do some kind of department of the business, then now all of a sudden you have to add that to your P&L, $800 minimum every single year. And I don't know, that, that, can, that can add up. And it definitely dissuades some people from actually setting up an entity in itself, which really defeats like why you want to give this kind of protection to uh, small businesses. Yeah, I should have. I'm glad you clarified that. It's if, it's if you have an actual entity in California, if you're sole proprietor, it's not going to apply in that case. So that's, yeah, like you said, it's that. I think that's what discourages people the most in actually setting up an entity is they don't want to pay the eight hundred bucks a year because there's really no other downside to having an entity. I, I guess a little bit more formalities. The tax return might be different depending on how you're set up, but it's. That, I think it's really that that annual franchise tax that. Um, causes people not to end up going the entity route or, or holding off on it too. It's right both things. And so that's California. In Texas, here at home, there is a franchise tax, um, but the threshold that it, you actually start paying something is much higher. It is designed so that if you're a small business, you're not going to be paying any franchise taxes. Now there is an annual reporting uh, kind of requirement, but that is a administrative process. Uh, uh, typically, you can do it yourself, or your CPA can do it. You know, uh, part of your uh, tax reporting uh, process. Very easy, uh, really, honestly, a non-issue. I think <laughs> franchise tax, and, and and I think we may have mentioned this before in past uh, uh, podcasts, the Franchise Tax Board of California is also very aggressive. And uh, we'll put up some links about how the state Franchise Tax Board in California has made some incredible efforts to collect that $800, $800 fee as much as they can. Yeah. I mean, they're worse than the IRS and in my opinion. So it's, <laughs> they're more aggressive I and mean, they're obviously smaller too. So maybe that's why, but, um, but yeah, that, that's a franchise tax. 
the probably the least uh, advantageous tax for for California is going to be the the state income tax. Right. Like Nassar was saying earlier, federally, that's going to be the same across the board. But the the state income tax in California is going to be you know roughly eight to nine percent. I think maybe even a little tick higher in some counties. Texas, not the case at all. A huge huge advantage here. Right. I mean, you're literally looking at no tax versus some tax and. Eight to nine percent of your income, or that's an average for most people who are going to fall on that threshold. But uh, uh, I would say that that's I think that's that's a lot of the movement from California to Texas. A lot of people that move they 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 do reference that. Um, but we'll see as we go on this list. One of the people is talk about well, a lot of people talk about well, you have income taxes higher, but Texas's property tax is higher, and. That is actually true, yeah. right? Um, California's average uh, property tax is 0.72 percent. Okay, um, I would say most metro areas are about one percent. Mm-hmm. Is, is that right? Yeah. And but Texas is actually aver- the average is 1.9 percent. Um, however, <laughs> I think this is a big however. The median property uh, value. Is about twice as high as it is in Texas. So, I don't know. Is that who, who wins on that? Yeah, it's definitely. Well, it depends if you own property or not. I, mean, I, I guess True. that's one way. Because, st- you know, if you if you earn an income, there's no way around that in California. But if you don't own a property, then maybe it's a little bit more advantageous. Yeah, maybe it's a non-issue. Yeah, right. Okay, so franchise tax, state income tax, property tax. The next one is sales tax. Now, sales tax is something that may indirectly affect businesses, um, mm-hmm. but uh, because usually that's passed on to the consumers or, or retail and so forth. But it obviously affects business, right? Um, what's the difference here, Matt? So the sales tax in again California is going to be going to be higher. It's about what two. Two so points higher. Yeah, so it's, it's by locality again. So it depends on on county and sometimes even city. But yeah, right. it's roughly uh, seven baseline seven point two five percent. Then plus yeah one one and a half um, in, in that range. Texas is Texas is six point two five at the state level. Then plus about another two percent on the local local level, yeah. um, and you know that goes higher in, in the metro areas, of course, and that's typically how it is. But that, that's a small difference. I don't think that you know I'm not moving to Texas because of the sales tax, right? And then it's you know from, if we're looking at it from the business's perspective, I mean that that all that cost gets pushed to the, the customer if if you're doing it correctly. I mean it might be a little bit more difficult to figure out. Um, but if you, you know, most of the time now, it's it's all based off of software, payment processing. So it's all handled outside of the of the business itself. So I don't think it's going to deter any businesses away from California. But you know, obviously, you're going to be living there too. So right. there's a potential, uh, you know, slightly slight increase in in sales tax. So this next one, uh, I teased it in the beginning. Here is is I think very surprising to many people. Which is this fuel tax, and to the extent that how much of that dollar per gallon that we get for our uh, for our cars do we actually pay for the, to the state for this tax? So 
Texas does have an excise tax. That's what they're called, excise taxes uh, for fuel. Uh, and it is 20 cents uh, on the per gallon. Uh, so, I mean, you can imagine anything that you, you see a $2 sum, $3 sum, minus 20 cents, that's about you know what, what you're paying there. For California, though, it is, it is 50.5 cents. So 50 cents on the dollar is going just on, on, uh, on gas. So like when, when, when you see these like crazy prices every once in a while, they, 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 uh, they shoot up. Uh, and that's why always they reference California because the prices are always higher. It's because you're already starting at 50 cents. Um, that's a pretty significant. And this is on top of other federal taxes, but that's, sure. of course, uh, across the board. But are people in California driving more? I mean, well, that's a good. Ugh. I was going to say yes, but I mean, California's highways are pretty <laughs> substantial. Yeah. Um, but I mean, but Texas is so spread out too. I, so I think the difference is, and this is partially assumptive based on Texas, but in California, you might spend more time on the road, but just going a shorter distance. And right. Like you said, Texas is more spread out, so maybe you're going your point A to point B um, is going to be longer. And it's, right. You're not just sitting there and. Depending on where you're at in California, it can be pretty pretty brutal. Well, yeah, and same with Texas. Yeah. I mean, and Austin is known for its traffic problem right now because of the influx of population. Infrastructure can't hold it. But I mean, it seems like every metro complains about their traffic, including Houston here. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I think uh, I, I just think that that thirty cents difference between California and Texas, I think that has a significant impact on the infrastructure of transportation, trucking, and these kinds of things, it, it adds quite a bit of costs. Yeah, and, and again, and a lot of that gets shifted to the customer. Um, you know, indirectly, people that are living there end up paying it because they have to. Business have to raise their co- cost of everything, and yeah, not, I, I think. I mean, of all these, it's I think that's the most hidden, co- a hidden tax, especially if you're a business owner, just because right. might not consider it, but um, it definitely exists and not. <laughs> doesn't get talked about a lot. People in California just know the prices are high, and that's it. <laughs> All right. So California versus Texas, taxes, who's the winner here? Are we tallying it? Are we going round by round to see? I like, think, like a boxing I so. match? I think so. Um, mm. Well, I, I mean, it seems obvious to me. I mean, everyone wants to pay more taxes, so California, right? Yeah. For scoring this, let's go. We'll go uh, I'm going to go 9. Are you writing it down? 9, 8. Texas takes that one. You know, I don't usually see you in person. I don't like. I didn't realize. Like, well, I'm not gonna remember. Notes. I'm not gonna remember the uh, the po- the scoring I've done through the whole time. So. Well, so what was the score that you gave? I'm scoring it like boxing nine eight in favor of Texas. So you you want to end up with the most points? But nine so nine so but that means like, if I understand boxing rules, nine eight usually means that like one of the like basically both of them have been knocked knocked down once basically. Right. Yeah. Usually it's a ten well, nine. I, I mean, I, I'm not great on the boxing. I'm going to say ten eight to Texas. Oh. Yeah. Um, I don't have a pen to write it down. I'm actually going to remember. Well, you, you were two different scores, so we'll see how it works out. At That's the end. true. Okay. Yeah. So two different judges. Ten eight. Just I won't forget that. All right. So next up on Texas versus California is employment law. Now, I think we already teased this on the beginning of the episode. I, I don't even want to... I mean, we, we already know what it is. I mean, from an employment perspective, uh, Texas wins out dramatically. 
but why? I think that that's let, let's go through that a little bit in more detail because I think when when you're at home at the dinner table and you're trying to explain to your family why we need to move to Texas, these are some points that you're going to have to use. Yeah, and from my perspective, a lot of a lot of businesses in California know a lot of business owners already know this, and whether I, it's probably because they've gone through it, I suppose before. But I mean, the the summary is California is a very employee friendly state as opposed to Texas, which is a employer-friendly state. And I think that's the, the business owners in California just understand that, you know, they're going to, they're going to be pretty restricted on what they're able to do, uh, particularly post termination or somebody leaving. Um, and they just know that they're probably going to get hit with some sort of uh, wage claim or misclassification claim. Um, it's almost impossible if you do business for a few years that you're not going to run at least in into one of those. And that's, that's a very broad look at how, what the differences are and why, you know, it's better to be an employer in Texas than opposed to California. Right. And, and I do want to like walk back a little bit because, you know, if if for those that know us and have been listening to us for a number of years, we've been doing this, you know, we do believe in treating workers well and, and fairness and these kinds of things. Uh, and a lot of the things that California does as it applies to employee protections, they are a leader in employee rights. Uh, all the new stuff that comes in the nation comes from California and slowly gets adopted in other states. Um, even the protections in Texas um, that that incurs uh, in Texas and in other states and so forth, I mean, you can find it tracing out from states like New York and California. Um, but, and it's kind of a big but, in the sense that it it also tends to disrupt business quite a bit um, in the sense that we as lawyers see the worst of it, right? We're representing the business. Okay, yeah, we're a little bit biased, but we also see the abuse of some of these laws as well. And that's really what we're, we're talking about here, the frustration with that. Because by the way, even if Texas has better employment laws, Texas doesn't prohibit you from being a good employer. It doesn't prohibit you from treating your your staff well um, and doing what's right. Uh, whereas California, even if you have the best intentions, you can walk into trouble. And a good example is what you just mentioned. It's like, it's like, hey, I, I need to terminate this employee, but it's almost guaranteed because of the circumstance that I'm going to face some kind of repercussion from it, even if it's fully justified. Yeah, it's again. There's, as <clears throat> if you're a business owner in California, and you terminate an employee, at some point you're going to receive some sort of demand letter from a plaintiff's firm, and you're going to know what the claims are on there already. It's it's the same... You know, same form letter. Yeah, then. it's basically the same form letter every time. It's, you know, if there was a exempt, non-exempt issue, you know, if if that's in play, there's... You know, Overtime, lunch yeah, breaks, all that stuff. Of things. There's, Lawful termination. There's always a claim that they didn't get their... They didn't get paid on time. They get their last paycheck on time, and that their paycheck was um, wasn't correctly formatted, and all that stuff. And you know, obviously, sometimes that is the case, right? And you know, that's that falls on the business at that point. But on the other side of the coin, there's many times where that's not the case, and plaintiffs' attorneys know they can just make these de- the you know they can make these demands on behalf of the employee, and the business is going to have to deal with it. Right. It's just a, you know, it's just a pain, but that's just the reality. So in California, the biggest kind of shakeup in employment law, which almost happens every year, but the latest one is AB five. 
Uh, I, again, a topic that we've covered both in podcasts, articles, and so forth, and pretty much every employment law attorney in California has covered this too, because it was such a huge thing that's uh, happened to the state. And that basically, it, I think it was known, I don't know what they called it, but it was known to really address uh, the rideshare uh, contractors and so forth. Gig economy. The gig economy of, of classifying these all these people as contractors. Now, of course, with Proposition, AB5 was backed out a little bit, but in general, it is very difficult now to actually hire an independent contractor in California without actually them being classified as an employee under California law. Right. And we're talking about the, the misclassification issue. And the, the main reason being the new law, basically, if you provide, if the employee, if the individual provides a service that's a central service or core service to the actual business, it's essentially impossible for them to not be considered an employee. And to, to a lot of businesses' credit in California, they saw this coming, uh, or once it was passed and went through and became a law, a good amount actually shifted the where, you know, actually classified people the right way because they knew that these lawsuits were going to be coming down the pipeline. That, but at the same time, businesses that were doing stri- pretty much, you know, almost all of their entire workforce as independent contractors were put in a real bind because they essentially had to change the way they do business. And like Nasser was saying, a lot of this fell down from the Ubers and the Lyfts and all the all the pushback on that. Um, but you know, again, it's you have you can't just make someone an independent contractor in California and feel good about it. You actually have to do an analysis, and it's it's just a tough test to, to overcome. And there are exceptions, but even if the, even if the um, the the position is fills one of those exceptions, the fallback test is still pretty favorable to. You know, having someone be classified as an employee instead. It's not a, not as difficult, but still not ideal. And, and that fallback test is actually pretty similar to the Texas rule, um, which emulates the federal rule, uh, which is, but it's still an issue. So in other words, like this AB5 uh, is a huge issue in California, but when it comes to classification, it's still an issue in Texas because in fact, it's one of our blunders. Like one of the uh, top blunders that we covered in our last episode was misclassification. And this is not only in California, but a, a, across the nation that, that this occurs. So uh, definitely a Texas win on this you know, <laughs> small bout here, but uh, it, it's still a concern for Texas employers. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it. It's, and that's why you're not, the scoring's not going to be a 10 for Texas this round, because that's... Oh, well, <laughs> maybe that particular mini round. Yeah. Yeah. What about minimum wage? <laughs> yeah, you can't. That that that's uh, also another uh, easy slam dunk there. Yeah, the I think this is fairly well known across the U.S., but you know, California's minimum wage is is pretty high, mostly due to cost of living in certain areas, like the Bay Area, particularly Los Angeles, even San Diego. It's a higher cost of living in general, even even compared to other parts in the state. But yeah, for uh, minimum wage fourteen dollars for employers twenty five or more, and then thirteen for twenty five or fewer, or uh, you know, under that. Sorry, fourteen for over twenty five, thirteen for twenty five and fewer. The, Employees, um, and that's that's with a, cons- a consistent um, growth of it every year. It's supposed to increase a dollar every yeah, year dollar, until yeah. I think to fifteen. I think it is or sixteen. Yes. I think it's fifteen actually, and 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 so that's on top. That's a state level. But uh, and I think Matt, you mentioned this on a local level. Many cities have their own minimum wage that is higher than the state. Mm-hmm. Um, 
pretty much all the major cities seem like San Francisco. I know does. Uh, uh, San Diego does is Los Angeles as well, or I, I think so. I think yeah. they do as well. And so um, <laughs> Texas, Texas doesn't have a minimum wage, so it falls falls back to the federal minimum wage, which is right now at seven twenty five. So literally half, well, not literally. I suppose half of fourteen yeah. is seven. So close enough. Uh, that uh, uh, close to close to half um, of the wage minimum wage is in, in Texas. Now, okay, here's the thing. I mean. The like you said, the cost of living in California is that much higher, so you kind of have to. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to get those kind of workers anyway. And it's you know when it comes to living in Texas, I mean it is it is pretty inexpensive. I mean depending upon where you want to live, you seven twenty five that minimum wage is I think that's tough to live anywhere in the yeah. nation at that at that point. True, but um, but still you know it it it's palatable. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that kind of plays into one of the other considerations we call it human capital. It's what attracts right. the, what's going to attract the talent, the individuals, you know, the employees that are going to be maybe the most talented ones. I'm trying to phrase this in a way that's not uh, coming off poorly for Texas employees versus California. Yeah, be but careful. The, I think the better way to put it is this you have, well, you did. It's slowly shifting, but some of these big companies, uh, particularly in um, Silicon Valley, Los Angeles too, to some extent, but bringing in, you know, the top tier talent. So we're talking the Googles, Facebook, you know, companies like that. They're going to attract this, you know, the top level talent. They can probably pull them from anywhere, any 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 company. And so that's not the reason the minimum wage is like that. But you are going to get a different level. And basically, I think the way to put it is. California can attract maybe the top level employees for particularly in the tech field where Texas might not be able to just strictly on what businesses are there. So we can give so many examples of how human capital comes into play in real world situations just from just from our clients like we have clients that do manufacturing and they would rather do it in California even southern California because that's where some of the talent is for some high tech manufacturing and they couldn't get away with that in other Midwestern states, or if you even have a lot of times physicians, you know, we do a lot of healthcare and you'll see that the average, uh, basically average salary for a physician in metro areas versus non-metro areas um, uh, is a lot lower in metro areas or a lot lower in California versus Texas. Because again, you know, everyone wants to live in California if they can. Um, Well, we'll see after they listen to this episode. But uh, but this human capital aspect, you'll see even with Tesla moving to Austin. Or did they move to Austin? Or I try, can't remember. But Austin is a good good example. Like they've attracted, they're attracting a lot of talent that you would otherwise get in Silicon Valley. Or now people are more and more open to go to these uh, to go to Texas for these kinds of things. And and uh, that's a that's a that's a kind of a shifting change. And and so even though human capital is a big component. It kind of depends on the industry, I think. And one last thing I'll say about it too, which is something new in the last year and a half, is companies that are allowing people to work remotely anywhere. Right. That doesn't even matter at all then at that point. So, because the old stories were people would go to work for Google and it was so expensive there, they would literally be living in a van, like in a parking, like in the parking lot of the facility. Right. Now, if everyone's working remotely, you know, you could live in any state. You can still live in a van, but now it's like, anyway. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's parked at a different spot. Parked at a different spot. 
But yeah, I mean, I, I, and and um, and we've all heard the stories. A lot of these uh, tech companies aren't. They've decided not to reopen. They're leaving their leases. New York City's gone through that. I mean, I think you know, as we're recording this episode, a lot of the uh, banks are starting to you know require them to come back to come back to the office in the city, and I think that'll kind of revitalize that that commercial space again. But there is definite and post COVID impacts that. Um, is going to affect this human capital issue when it comes to Texas versus California. Sure. Okay, last one. Last. This one. is this is <laughs> this is an interesting one. You want to go? Do you want to take it or? You, I mean, it's mine's not interesting. Here's... Well, okay. I'll I'll no, you you start because you take the California perspective, and I'll I'll talk about Texas. So I mentioned earlier about how a lot of employers just know they in California they know they just can't do certain things. And this, this falls under that category of non-competes. I don't know how many times someone's told me, I guess employees have mentioned it too, just it's like, well, California non-competes are essentially unenforceable. Right. And that's really the truth. I mean, there's very, there's some narrow exceptions. Um, but yeah, not any sort of restrictive covenant, non-compete, non-solicitation, um, non-poaching or, you know, non Solicitation of customers and employees, it's yeah. it's evolving too. It's just becoming more and more difficult for you know any possibilities of these be held enforceable in California because they basically view everything as um restriction on on trade. And um and that's just a I mean, you know, most companies know they just can't even can't even do it. Don't even and, and a lot of times like from when we're advising clients, it's like don't even touch it. You know, they want to try to figure some way out. And this comes up more with non-California businesses that want to do business in California, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you'll, you'll see that right more often because they're used to having some kind of non-compete because in Texas, like many other states, I mean, California is probably the most restrictive that I know of in, in the nation, but in Texas, um, you can't have non-competes. Now, it's not unlimited. There is some level of a line between enforceability and, and unenforceability. Yeah. And it and and the rule is this: is that so long as it's reasonable in time, scope, and place, and these kinds of things, then it's going to be enforceable. Now, what's reasonable? Um, it's case by case. I mean, there's some kind of rules of thumb that lawyers tend to use, and so forth. I don't want to give them out here because it's like, I don't want um, it, it can be misconstrued very easily, and it may not fit your specific situation. It really is specific to the type of work that you do, and so forth. Uh, but Texas, you can you can find some way. Even the most um, lowest level of employees can have some kind of restrictive covenant um, that limits that gives some protections to employers. Now, personally, I think employers tend to go a little too far in Texas of how routine it is. But there's an answer to that in the sense that um, if employers just kind of rubber stamp a uh, a non compete and they don't enforce it. Then they can actually. It's like you don't use it, you lose it, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some defenses when it comes to employees, but but overall, I mean, this is a uh, non-compete protections are a obvious employer-friendly um, protection to have, and and so from a business perspective, that's a clear win from Texas. Yeah, and then the last thing I'll say about that is that's why for California businesses, it's so critical to keep top-level talent because right they can just go. I mean. Yeah, and they hop around, especially in like those kind of uh, businesses. Yeah, I think Silicon the, Valley and all. to me, the, the non-compete aspect, well, I guess if it could fall under both because 
The one I've seen that's the most damaging for California businesses is the non-solicitation of customers. Right. And so, because somebody leaves, I guess technically they'd still be competing. But yeah, if they, you know, they take one or two of your biggest clients, then it becomes a huge problem. So you have to just keep employees happy, or else you face the the consequences. And, and there are some very, I would say, very limited protections for employers of what they can do. Um, in the sense that you you can protect trade secrets, yeah. you can protect confidential information. Right. But what is confidential and what's a trade secret? That's where the rubber meets the road sometimes when yeah. it comes to uh, protecting it, um, and also proving that someone used your trade secrets and so forth. And so, um, but so it's not it's not the end of the world. But here we're coming to the end of the employment section. I don't know how you're going to score this. By the way, when so Texas is the home state in this in this game, right? So do we say California versus Texas or Texas versus California? Because I think every sport has their different, like who's the home. Well, right? I think it's right because the home team's usually second. Right, because it's usually California at yeah. uh, Texas, right? Yeah. Okay, so, uh, well, you went first last time, so let me go first. I'm going to say, I'm going to go, what did I do last time, 10-8? Yes. I'm going to do 10-7. I think this this... California has been knocked down like two or three times, and you know, in fact, they they lost a point because of just the infraction of of AB five and and the non compete stuff. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go ten eight. Ten okay, all right. Well, um, that's a clear lead for Texas. They should just give up. Are they gonna finish? All right. Yeah, we can battle back. I'm not too concerned. Okay. Well, let's go to the next round. Okay, our next topic is, I think, a little bit more subtle, and this is more for the lawyers in the room, uh, but I think it's still uh, going to come into play when you're deciding where, which state, like as if most people have a choice, which state to start your business in. Um, that is corporate governance. Um, how do I start with this? I don't even, I don't even know. I, I want to make this interesting, but I'll, I, this is a kind of an important part for us. So yeah, wh- what I would say is probably. I mean, you can do a lot of things in California, but a, um, a lot of businesses don't choose maybe the more complex or different or different number of entity options. Right. One for the franchise tax, but two, just it's um, not always as favorable in, in how you can operate in the formalities. Right. It's so it comes down to two things. Like I think you mentioned the franchise tax. So. Uh, as attorneys, like it can get kind of crazy, and from our perspective of how how many entities we can create, in the sense it's not co- uncommon for, you know, from an attorney's perspective, it's like, hey, let's create a new entity for every single little thing, and you know, it's hey, you give you give a person a hammer, they're going to hammer. Uh, an attorney is just going to create entities because that's you know that's what they do, um, and there's there's some fun stuff that you can do with that. Um, you, you can you can split off liabilities. You can have different ownership structures. You, from a regulatory perspective, allows you to do a lot of different things um, depending upon like if you're in healthcare and these kinds of things. Um, in California, every single new entity has a uh, has that $800 franchise fee, and that could be enough to just dissuade you from kind of adding to it. Uh, even though each entity in general that you're operating, you have a bank account, you have to file taxes, these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. There's some added administrative costs, but that $800 fee is is one thing. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the biggest ones because there's something called a series LLC where you can have 
the master LLC, and then all the sub LLCs underneath there, all the series ones. California, you they will recognize it. Yeah. If you come from out of state and you have but, that setup, but you can't, well, one, you have to pay the $800 per, per, per entity, series, but you can't set it up in California either. So like I said, they'll, they'll recognize it probably because they want to collect the 800 bucks from every single series, every single series. But you know, you can't, it's just not as, as favorable as in Texas or, or other states that have that more, uh, that real series LLC ability to form. So I, I would love to have a whole episode on series LLCs because I think they're fascinating. Uh, but let me, so let me give you some background on this uh, to kind of demonstrate the difference b- between the two, uh, two states. So LLCs in general are a newer ty- kind of entity. Everyone understands there's a corporation and most people know that there's an LLC, but LLCs didn't exist, you know, not that long ago. And when it comes to law and uh, from a, you know, from a legal history perspective, and it was kind of, LLCs were kind of a, a, a construct of, out of thin air, people started kind of formulating using, you know, different uh, types of agreements. Series LLCs are something similar in the sense, what's a series LLC is, and how you can think about it, is think about, uh, you have one LLC, but within the LLC, you have different cells. Um, and each cell is, can have its own tax ID, can do its own business, and you can and it's everything separated, kind of different ownership than every 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 cell. And each cell is typically called a series, right? Each series is a is is part of the LLC series. And the advantage of having this is really one of the advantages of having an LLC versus a corporation is the formalities. And in order to create separate cells within the LLC, you could just have a literally a piece of document, nothing to file necessarily. There's some recommended ways to actually, you know, to formulate it, but technically you don't need to file anything. It's just another series that you're adding. And so this becomes really advantageous in certain lines of businesses and business structures, whether it's in real estate or even in things like healthcare. There's something called, uh, again, this is really in the weeds, but some people may know what I'm talking about here. It's called the uh, practice without walls. And the idea that you have different physicians that come together, you can do that through a series LLC. Um, and uh, so that way, every physician owner has different kinds of ownership. And you can play some interesting things with uh, contracting with payers and, and so forth, and, and also bill under one tax ID. And, and in, a, in a way, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's allows attorneys to act a little creatively when it comes to certain you know, unintended regulations and, and laws and so forth that meets um, still still meets the spirit of it, but but Texas you, you can't even or I'm sorry California you can't even contemplate doing something like that. All the advantages of a series series LLCs goes away once you start doing that in California. Right. I mean, I would say a lot of businesses California they just set up just one LLC because it's easy yeah. from a formality perspective. And the ones that want to do corporations, I mean, they're definitely decent amount, but a lot of them go to another state, you know, go to Delaware right. to, to do that. So yep. it's a lot of, there are a lot of just regular one, uh, one entity LLCs and in, in California, just a lot of people do business that way. And I noticed too, like for limited partnerships are not as common in Texas because typically you need two entities, right? You need a California. general partner. Oh, sorry, California. <laughs> typically you need a, uh, two entities, a one in general, uh, one for the general partner and one for the limited partnership itself. Uh, and, and limited partnerships are, they're a great entity structure for certain types of uh, businesses and vehicles and good for investment vehicles, good for 
uh, good for dynamics where you have a lot of passive investors coming in, limited partners, and you have a one or two general partners, et cetera. But California, you just don't see that kind of culture of legal entities. There's plenty of limited partnerships. I'm not saying that you can't do that. It's just not part of the culture there um, a lot of times. And so like if you're, but that's, but that's also a lot of different things. Like, so if you're starting a startup in Silicon Valley, you're, you're going to be asked to do a C Corp in Delaware, right? Right, Because that's what sometimes VCs, uh, VCs require. Right. So yeah, it is case by case, but uh, you know, this was even that bad of a showing for California, I don't think. Yeah, not too bad. I mean, look, uh, from a, uh, from going the boxing analogy, I'm always surprised at the scorecard. Sometimes, and you know, it's like it's like you think one guy wins, and some guy will be like tied up nine nine or something like that. Well, it's because it's corrupt, probably most. Yeah, of that, that, I've heard that. I don't understand how that <laughs> works, but. Uh, so, well, you, it's your turn. What do you say? Yeah, I think this was this was ten nine, just because of the ten nine two Texas, just because of the LLC series LLC component. See, I don't, I don't want to play the taxes part in this. I feel like that's the only thing. Like, if that's the only difference, it's like, okay, Texas got in a few other punches because I'll tell you, series LLCs are for a very, it's such a narrow, like even in Texas, it's available, but like you only use it in certain circumstances. And, and to be frank, a lot of things that you can do in a series LLC, you can do in another structure. Um, right. So um, I'm actually going to call it 10-10. Okay. I think it's a tie. All right. I'm fine with that. I thought about that, but... but I'm not writing down. You should write... Why aren't you writing my scores down? I didn't know. I forgot to write your scores down. Okay. Well, we'll go back. We'll figure it out. Okay. You can remember. All right, this next component of Texas versus California is on privacy. Now, privacy protections are an interesting uh, thing as far as, okay, well, if there's more laws in one state, how is that going to benefit businesses or not? Um, well, I think this is really going to be about California, so you, you have to talk about this. Right. Yeah, and it depends what side you're coming from, because I think if you're the just a resident of California, you probably are all about the, the privacy laws. Um, but if you're a business, it's just another consideration you have to go through. And specifically talking about the CCPA, uh, California Consumer Privacy Act. And for those of you, I, I think we've talked about this before, right? Ye yeah, probably at some point. Oh, I mean, you and I have talked about this. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what you mean? <laughs> I think, we, well, maybe we haven't talked about it on the podcast. I don't know. But for basically... The if you're familiar with the GDPR, which is the European Union version of this, it's akin to that. It basically gives residents of California uh, many rights, a lot of which the right to do certain things or opt out of certain things. That if a business that if the business they don't have to physically be in California, there's certain all good through the requirements. But if a California resident falls under that and the business falls under the the coverage of the CCPA. Any California resident has these rights, and not only do the, the, does a business have to disclose these rights, they obviously have to follow them too. And there's very strict guidelines and response times and all that. So, let's take a step back. Who, what, what kind of businesses fall under the CCPA? So it's one of three different categories: um, annual revenue, twenty-five million, um, fifty thousand 
or more consumers, you, you, you collect the personal information of 50,000 or more consumers in California, which is a kind of a gray area in and of itself. For the third one, probably isn't going to be a lot of businesses, but 50% of your revenue is derived from selling uh, the personal information of consumers. So a lot of people, as you can imagine, or less, sorry, a lot of businesses fall into that second category where if you collect the personal information of 50,000 or more consumers in California, you're going to fall into the CCPA. And if that happens, like I said, there's a, a whole category of rights that uh, the consumers have. Again, you have to disclose it and you have to follow it. So real briefly, you have to disclose the categories of information that are collected um, and then how it's being used and what third parties it's being shared with. Um, the consumers all have the right to request the, the deletion of their personal information. They have the... Just like the GDPR, right? That's, right. And they request to opt out um, of collection. And then there's some other smaller things too. But basically, if if, if the business falls under the CCPA and a, and a California resident doesn't want the business to essentially use their personal information, they have the ability to say, you can't, and you have to you know, stop doing that. And like I said, there's certain response times, but in a nutshell, that's the, how the CCPA applies if two residents in, in California. I, I'm not doing business in California anymore. That's too much. And I, I guess I should say it's, and I think I did, it's not even, you don't have to be, in, you know, the business right. doesn't have to be in California for that to be the case. You just have to be collecting yeah. information from California consumers. Yeah, yeah. particularly that, you know, that second uh, category, it's, you know, it can be anywhere. So I think it's an advantage if you're, located in California because at least you're probably aware of it. And if you're That's right. I mean, if you're not, you may not be aware. Yeah, if you're a business in another state, there's it's possible you have no idea and this even exists. California's for sure going to start reaching out to those businesses that are yeah. that are are doing that if they haven't already. And in Texas, of course, like in California, they actually have a right to privacy in the constitution, state constitution. Mm -hmm. And so from an individual perspective, of course, like this privacy is a is a great thing and and it's an individual protection from a business perspective. Um, that's it's it can be very onerous and very difficult. In fact, we've advised a, a lot of different companies going going through this, right. especially when they're going through California. And it's you know sometimes we're the bearer of bad news, and we get a lot of pushback. It's like hey, you have to, this is this is the rule. This right. is what you have to do. And and sometimes there's technical challenges, and that costs money and. And, um, but you know, uh, that is again, the cost of doing business specifically in California. Right. And it's, it's also to, it's you know, the response times I've mentioned a few times now, um, actual following through with it, you have to have agreements with, um, with what's called service providers, basically third parties or vendors. Um, you know, cause if they're, pro if they're processing personal information too, it has to be covered. So it's not just as easy as posting. Uh, what information you collect on your privacy policy. There's a lot more that goes into it. And right. then we won't get too deep into this part too, but in a couple of years, we're going to see the CPRA, California oh. Privacy Rights Act, and it's going to be even more onerous for these companies to to follow this because it's going to add a different category of personal information called sensitive personal information. And it's going to make, well, it's to be determined, but people seem to think it's going to have more businesses that are then going to fall under that umbrella. Who's who's covered under this? Um, more opt out of, of certain advertising, which is going to be. We didn't even talk about that. I mean, it's hard to even from a logistical perspective. If somebody wants to opt out of advertising, like it's, I'm sure it'll be easier down the road. But that's it's a challenge in of of itself to 
remove that one individual or it's make sure that their personal information is not getting used anymore. It's just, it's a pretty challenging thing for, for these businesses. Absolutely. I mean, it, we didn't, there's just, I'm trying to think what else there is in Texas. I mean, there's some, in California, they have this too. Like if you have some kind of data breach, you have to notify yeah. customers and so forth. But even then, like compared to Texas, compared to California, Texas is a lot more liberal than how many, how many, uh, when that threshold of reporting is required and, and things of that nature. But uh, man, I would say 10-8 on that one. So I'm going to say 10-9 Texas because I just don't think that many business. I mean, from the... the That's no, true. That there's not as many businesses as you would think. Right. It's mostly bigger businesses. If yeah. you're a small business, you're not you're not going to have to comply. I don't know if that changes with CPRA, but it, you know... It, a little bit. Not, not to the level of it's going to... Got it. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, I don't, I don't think I can change my vote, or can I? Maybe if someone pays me a little bit. Yeah, I don't know if they're locked in after every round. They probably are, so you can't go back and right. change them based okay. on later rounds. Okay, well, it's locked in. 10-8. <laughs> All right. Okay, so now this one, this next category of Texas versus California, or California at Texas, um, I think this is going to be the nail-biter. I mean, if... <laughs> if if the first four rounds were not just like already like a landslide of Texas, then maybe it'd be like, okay, let's just reset zero zero. We can come down to this fifth round. Um, then, you know, maybe there'd be some question here. But this is the stuff that we, we had to talk about this because it's not just enough about the law and from a business perspective of why you would want to do business in Texas versus California. Right. There's some other things that may, uh, may come into play as well, like... The weather. Well, so 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 you've been in Houston for a number of days now. Yeah, you've experienced the dead of summer, the humidity. Um, not not all of Texas is like that, and not all of California is nice either. But uh, how do you compare that to San Diego? Well, I, I and I was I was going to do more than just San Diego. I think the locations where the most you know the bigger cities in California, a lot of them aren't going to have anything close to what Houston has. I assume Dallas is also like that or Austin. Dallas, well, all I know about Dallas is people from Houston bash Dallas and vice okay. versa. So I can't speak much about well, the weather. Well, if we're, if we're only going to do San Diego, then it's, I mean, that's that's an easy one. Right. I mean, that's the best, one of the best seven, cities in the world. Yeah. 70 degrees basically every day of the year. Right. Um, we're not going to get snow. It's not going to get too hot for the most part. It's not going to get too cold. Um, you know, I, I personally like rain, so I would like to see more rain, but it's also... The nice thing is, obviously, you don't have to. You can plan something for outside, right? And feel pretty confident that it's going to be fine. Yeah, exactly. Right, and well in advance, months in yeah. advance, and and in the winter too, you can drive up to Julian or something yeah, and see the if snow. If you want to see snow, sure. And and but you're right. All the Los Angeles, Santa Barbara, San Francisco, and so forth. I mean, these are all cities with great weather. San Francisco. I mean, people. Some people may complain about it, but sure. you know, I mean, it's 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 a different it different taste. Yeah, it is colder, but it's not. Bad. But it doesn't snow for like three months of the year or something like that, like the Midwestern states. Texas, it's funny that we're talking about the weather. But <laughs> it's great. Uh, but okay, so next topic, though, stricter enforcement of the laws. Um, this is something we have to talk about because, like, I'll tell you, you know, Texas tends to be a little bit hands-off. And I think we saw that with uh, the pandemic. Um, I know that our office, we were home for two weeks and then, came back um, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
out of voluntarily, everyone just kind of came back. You know, I gave the option and so forth, but uh, um, that wasn't much of an issue. California just opened up like two days ago. Yeah, <laughs> right. Basically, yeah. The well, I don't know when this will come out, but yeah, June fifteenth was basically yeah. the full reopen. Well, not it's not even full reopening, but yeah. more people. I think um, yeah, June June was when you really started seeing businesses kind of fully open up, and um, but yeah, I mean, COVID, it's not even a comparison with this particularly uh, San Francisco and then, then LA also just cause they were San Francisco was just very condensed and LA just had some issues with, uh, you know, rates and everything. But right. yeah, I, I, but I would say on the other side, I think, uh, I mean, I don't know how it is in Texas necessarily, but certain areas in California, it's, you know, you have those beach towns. So I think those can be much Laid back, yeah, much more laid back. So it's a, it's a little bit like, yeah, that's true. And also, and the opposite is true here in in Texas because, like, for example, very early on, Harris County was um, pretty. They had mass mandates and so forth, where the rest of Texas did not. And so um, there is some city kind of uh, local level differences as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's a toss up. I don't know. Yeah. But okay, this is a good one. Natural beauty. Now, I would say that. If you were to ask me about Texas about three years ago, I would have said California, you know, by far the natural beauty. But there, I mean, obviously they have the beaches, they have mountains, they have the forest and yeah. the redwoods and all that. I, I and, and the deserts are even beautiful, right? Then you have the Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there, but in Texas, I mean, there there's some there's some uh, charm to it. Uh, you have to kind of travel um, a little bit. Like, but uh, I'll tell you, you know, places like uh, West Texas and the those, it's, it's kind of dry land, but I, I kind of like it. It's kind of, it kind of an, has a neat look to it. And, you know, places like, um, uh, I think I, in West Texas is the uh, Big Bend National Park is there. And then, of course, Austin has its own charm, um, the natural beauty there. The hill country is just phenomenal. And that's about as far as I've been. Uh, Northern Texas, I don't know what's there, the Panhandle. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be a winning argument. <laughs> there, are the, you you haven't been. You have uh, the whole coast, in California. Yeah, and... that's no. I, I, look, I'll, I'll give it to you. We have some coasts too, but it's definitely not the same. <laughs> Galveston Beach is definitely not uh, comparable to most of the beaches in, in California. But uh, I do think the natural beauty of Texas is underrated. Okay, well, that's fine. And I think most people watching or listening in will agree. Well, that kind of plays in the next thing. We call it, I guess, activities, things to do. It's oh yeah, like you can you know. This plays into the weather too. That's yeah, that, that's that's yeah, that's that's correct. I mean, there's people that can go. You can go, uh, what surfing in the morning and then skiing in the afternoon. Um, if you live in certain parts of of the state, which is I don't know if there's how many places in the world you can do that, but uh, sixteen. 16, okay. No, I don't know. Well, not in Texas. <laughs> and none of them are in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is my favorite, sports teams. Okay. Um, I'm just curious if you can name all, all sports teams I, in California, yeah, Texas. I For sure? That. Yeah, easily. Oh, really? Okay. I'm not going to ask you to do not, it. Not even close. Really? Yeah. All, all the professional sports. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. That's it. I probably could too then. Not really, I don't think. Baseball, no. I don't know. I'm trying to think. But sports teams, well, I, you, you have to speak to this. I, I don't know if I can. Yeah, well, they have. 
I'm trying to think. We have a lot. That. We have a lot of great sports teams. Well, I'm, right? I'm thinking from the fan bases. So it depends fan on. Bases. So if I'm if I'm working south south to north, so San Diego, they obviously lost the Chargers, but the decent Padres city. L.A. is basically a, a Lakers town. Right. Um, if the other team, like Dodgers, if they're good, you know, people follow them. You work your way up. Um, like Bay Area, the Warriors were pretty popular. Yeah. And then the Gi- San Francisco Giants. I mean, the, so also the uh, Seattle. Oh, no, no, Seattle. Well, I'm, I'm just naming like the big the big followings. Um, Got it. And then in Texas, you have. Well, everyone's a Raiders fan too, right? They're the Raiders. Raiders are, are in, they're in Las Vegas now. Oh, yeah. They're not even in California. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I would have. If you would ask me that, name the name the California teams, I would, the first one I would have said uh, the Raiders, they the San Diego Chargers. No, but you're right. They, I mean, when they were in Oakland, they were pretty big. They were pretty big. Okay. And then Texas, we have the known cheaters of the Houston Astros. Oh, I, I guess I'm offended by that, but. I don't know. I, I would say, I mean, Texas obviously has the Cowboys, which I think have a pretty big... Their legacy. Yeah. But, I mean, history, well, history-wise, I would say, you know, the, yeah, the Lakers and then the Dodgers are two, so, and the Giants, those three are the more so who's historic the, teams. So, so who's the winner? I re- this one, I need a score. Well, I think if we had the best team in each sport play, so we'd have... Yeah. So... See who's. By the way, I, this this is probably the most controversial section, right? <laughs> so baseball, the Dodgers won the World Series last year, so I would take them. The Lakers won the NBA championship last year, take mm. them. Hockey, I don't even know too much about uh, Texas. The Stars. So you can't name every hockey. Well, no, no, it's I think oh, okay. it's just the Stars, right? Oh, okay, I don't know. And then uh, the Sharks and the Kings and the Ducks. California. Hmm. That's I don't know enough about hockey to know who's good. And then what am I? Football. So the Rams, they're pretty good. Cowboys have been okay. Hmm. Texans have been not great. Hmm. And then yeah, it's just those two, I think. So that's an, that's a California. We're gonna really okay. yeah. I I'm gonna say Texas. I don't know. I have no idea if that's true or not. Well, then the I, I mean, what plays into it too is the venues. I think that some of the venues in for the sports teams in California are pretty pretty nice as well. No, that's true. I mean, the, Houston has a pretty much every every team, though, right? They have every sport. So does Los Angeles. Well, okay, anyway. All right, well, those, that's our intangibles, right? What's that? Um, I didn't discuss it with you beforehand. Okay. But you're, this is, people have to understand, Nasser is very adamant, very adamant about the fact that he's right about this. And he thinks about this or everything. I'm no, just, well, oh. <laughs> this in particular. Okay, he will never stop talking about how the the fish tacos in Texas are better than the fish tacos in in California. Wait, wait, no, I never said that. Yeah, you said, I said that. San Diego's fish tacos are terrible. <laughs> I never said that. And so I want the I want the beer battered fish That's not covered in cheese, <laughs> not the fresh fresh grilled fish that you can get. In. That's the total opposite. It's not even just San Diego. There's a lot of areas in California. That's so <laughs> I think that's a terrible take. <laughs> so this is not true. I can't find a good fish taco in San Diego. Well, we did go to, we did go to, or sorry, I, I, I misspoke. I can't find See, a good fish taco in Houston. I knew it. We did go to Velvet Taco though. That was, that was, uh, that was decent. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's, it is definitely at least unique. That was, that's probably the only fish taco I'll eat in, in Houston. Yeah, that's gonna be a big little plug a, for them. A big favor. I better get a ho- whole like bag of fish tacos. So from one, them. two, three, four, five. Okay. Well, you know what? 
who won that one? So there were six subtopics, and I think California took all six. So I'm going to score 10 to 4 California. But that's not how it works. Especially like it's like, okay. I think so. 10 to 6? Okay. No, 10 to 4. 10 to 4. So to me. Does that make up for the rest? Yeah, it did actually. So, <laughs> Well, I don't know about that. Well, it depends on the perspective. If you're a business thinking about moving from California to Texas, that's where this trend is going. Yeah. I mean, you're going to spend more hours not working than you are working. True. So, But most of it's sleeping, not working. Well, depends how much you sleep. In California, they, there's houses without air conditioning. That's true. My house has no air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, to, be grand, to be fair, in Houston, you can't have a house without it. Yeah, I don't think you would survive. I think you would die. (laughs) All right, so that is our episode. Um, We covered taxes. We covered, what else? Employment Employment law. I mean, it's, I I, I would say, this is what I would say in general, that for us, we've we've done business both in Texas and California. We have clients in both. Right. Um, it's definitely easier in Texas. Um, and, but at the same time, it's just, it's also very just different because yeah. even though for the most part from an advantage versus disadvantage, there's also opportunity in California and there's a vibe in California that are, it's just not in Texas. Yeah. Um, but you can find things in Texas that like in Houston, I mean, the, the, the vibe in te- vibe in Houston in particular, when it comes to business and the, the pace of it. Um, compared to San Diego, for example, which is, yeah. I always joke around. I don't think anyone works in San Diego. <laughs> you go to the malls, they're packed 24, you know, 20, uh, 24, seven, um, in the middle of the work day. Whereas in Houston, like it's just, it's a bustle in town, you know, but, uh, and I, I think you can say the same for a lot of cities like that in, in, in Texas in particular, but, yeah. um, but very different. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. Like you said, I, I, I'll agree with that. It's, it's easier to do business in Texas and, it's kind of what lifestyle you want to, um, and, then, and the type of people you want to have working for you as well. I think that, I think that's what you're kind of getting at. It's, Absolutely, it is a different mentality. It's but it's also industry specific too. But the important thing is that when we tallied the points, California won by two. By two? Yeah. I don't know how that happened, uh, but we'll we'll take that. Um, <laughs> okay, so if if you guys want to complain about Matt's uh, scores. Or if you want to complain about specifically his criticism of certain sports teams, <laughs> um, you can always send us your comments and questions. You can go to our website. Of course, we're active in social media at Pasha Law. Pretty much, I think all the uh, all the social media outlets. Mm-hmm. Uh, check out our new brand. We just launched a new brand, yeah. a new, new look, new cover art for our podcast. Um, we're really excited about that. Uh, until next time, thank you. Keep it sound. Keep it smart. You just listened to Legally Sound Smart Business with Asar Pasha and Matt Staub. For more information about the podcast, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. This podcast is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening to or engaging with the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice but rather is produced for entertainment and educational purposes only. Do not rely on the information on this podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney.
The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and does not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. This podcast may contain portrayals of clients by non-clients, reenactment of scenes and persons which are not actual or authentic, and depictions which are a dramatization.